morning, everyone. I guess I haven't, I haven't preached for a long time, so maybe this morning I'm going to make up for it. Uh, a few months ago, I'll start with this. A few months ago, we were singing this. We were, we were in church singing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And, and that too often happens to me, and this is not a good thing, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. Or I was distracted, which sounds better. And I found my, you know, the, the line where it says, the world behind me, the cross before me. I found, I found myself singing, the world beside me, the cross before me. And so I just stopped and think about that a little bit. And um, I decided, you know, that is kind of how it is sometimes. We decide that we're going to follow Jesus and put the world behind us. But we have to, the world has its way of, of, of sneaking up on us, I guess you could say that. And we have to repeatedly decide, this is going to go behind me, and the cross is going to be before me. So today we're looking at a story of someone who uh, was faced with that decision and couldn't make it. He could not put the world behind him. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And I want to look at, at five different things that story teaches us about following Jesus. So you can start turning to Mark chapter 10. That's where we'll be studying. Speaking of getting the words of songs wrong, recently one of my children was, was singing, uh, I have a home in glory land way beyond the flu, which is also true. So Mark chapter 10, and in this, in this situation, Jesus is setting off out for Jerusalem and has an encounter with this man. This story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew says he's young, Luke says he's a ruler, and they all three agree that he is rich. So in a lot of ways, this man had everything going for him. Or did he? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in Matthew, the, the man says, it's recorded, What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? I read it from the English Standard, by the way. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And in Matthew, he includes, Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty good list. So verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the thing, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. You know, Jesus could have said, You think you've given up a lot. Wait till you see where I, where I came from. Or, you think you've left everything. Wait till when I really need you most. It, it's interesting when Jesus chooses to rebuke his disciples and when he doesn't. But he doesn't hear. Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And back in Matthew, that statement is what leads to the parable of the workers in the vineyard who all receive the same pay at the end of the day. So you have heard the story many times, and depending how old you are, you've probably heard it preached on five to ten times. And I don't know that I have anything uh, really new to add to this study this morning. And I really can't even cover everything that's in this story, every uh, angle that could be gone with it. I think we have a pretty good handle of what happened. A rich young ruler approaches Jesus. He wants to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him to basically give up all his money. He can't do it. He turns away sorrowful. And Jesus said, it's hard for rich people to be saved. So I want to quickly look at three questions we might have about this passage, and then we'll look at uh, five lessons we can draw from it about following Jesus. So question number one, we might wonder, was the rich young ruler sincere? Of course, we don't know for sure, but um, it could be that he was he was just out looking for a, a public compliment from a teacher that everyone was impressed with. So he might not have been sincere, but I think, at least to some extent, he wasn't here. There's a few reasons why I think so. One is it impresses me that even though he's a person of some position, I don't know what kind of ruler he was, ruler of synagogue, ruler of Sanhedrin, but he runs up to Jesus and kneels down. It doesn't prove that you're sincere, but I'll give him a point in his favor for that. Now, secondly, this impresses me even more, is that Jesus, how Jesus responds to the man, uh, Jesus was not reluctant to call people out for being hypocrites and, and uh, having hidden motives and so on. But he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke this, this man. In fact, it says that he, he showed affection for him. There was something Jesus' heart was drawn to this man. Of course, Jesus loved the scribes and Pharisees too, but... But it doesn't say uh, 
you generally feel affection for them like you did for this man, apparently. And so Jesus doesn't call them out for being insincere. And, and so I think that's, that's the second reason why I think he was sincere. Thirdly, I think he was sincere based on how he left the scene. He did not leave angry. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't leave uh, smugly. He left sorrowful. So at least to some extent, I believe this man was a sincere speaker. He felt like something was missing from his life. There was a lack. And he comes to the right place. second question we could look at is, why does Jesus question the man's usage of good teacher? The term good teacher. We could spend a lot of time on this, but my summary is that Jesus didn't appreciate the title that had been chosen, that Jesus saw this man didn't really understand who he was, and, and Jesus wanted him to think about it some more. I'm not just a good teacher. And then the third question, this is a big one, why did Jesus ask the man to sell everything? Jesus didn't ask anybody else to sell everything. So the man's question, original question was, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life, as it's recorded in Matthew? And I get the impression that the man thinks that if he just does enough good things, he will be okay. And so he has been trying to, to do these good things, and he senses that something is missing, that there must be some other thing out there for him to do. And in a way, he's right. There was a good thing, if you want to call it that, that he hasn't been doing. And so then Jesus says, well, keep the commandments, and he goes through this list. But the list has a, a numerous, numerous commentators will point this out. The list has a huge and glaring absence on it that surely even the people around Jesus listening on would have noted. He, he makes this list of commandments but leaves out the greatest one, which is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And when the man says he's been following the commandments, Jesus doesn't argue with him. He just kind of goes straight to the heart issue and says, well, here's the one good thing you need to do. He doesn't put it in those terms, but he, he picks out one thing the rich young ruler can't do. He can't bring himself to sell all that he has. And in, in, doing, in asking that question, or in making that uh, request of the man, Jesus brought him face to face with the hard issue, which is that he really did not love God with his whole heart. Okay, so let's, let's look at some lessons here. There's, I think there's at least five pretty good lessons about following Jesus that we can get out of this passage. One, the first lesson, is one that will seem very obvious, I think, to all of us. Um, but it's not obvious to everyone. Following Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. Jesus can't be your Savior if He's not your Lord. And not everyone believes this. Some people think you can accept Jesus as your Savior, and then accepting Him as Lord is kind of an optional add-on, extra credit. I'm sure they wouldn't put it in those terms. So a number of years ago, I read this book by John MacArthur, The Gospel According to Jesus. It's a pretty old book by now, 
But um, in that book, he was arguing against this. I think he referred to it as easy believism that you could Jesus can save you, but you don't really have to follow him. And he used this story as one of his as one of his evidences that that's not true. You look at the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He wanted eternal life. And Jesus said, you need to give up everything and come follow me. And the, when the rich man can't do it, there's no confusion about where he can stand. He doesn't walk off thinking, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. He's, he's very disappointed. He knows that according to this, this good teacher, he doesn't qualify for eternal life. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's not being saved by Jesus. So a good reminder for us is that Jesus is not just calling people to believe that he is the Son of God and stop there. Because even if this man had recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, which he needed to do, clear about that, but even if he had just recognized that and then walked away, before Jesus had had time to point out this other issue, I don't think he would have been saved. Because saving faith is not just saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's the Gatorade demons said, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They didn't have a problem with that. It's believing Jesus and accepting his Lordship. Jesus only saves followers of him. There's a lot of different little theological nuances that we might not be quite right about. I mean, nobody's got everything figured out. And, and there are some things that maybe doesn't matter as much as... But this is one that does matter absolutely. You have to be crystal clear about this. You cannot be saved if He is not your Lord. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. So the first lesson about following Jesus is that following Jesus is the only way to be saved. Second lesson is that following Jesus requires a total allegiance. While Jesus didn't ask anyone else to tell everything they had, He did ask everyone for their complete allegiance. In Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. John 12, 25 and 26, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So is it possible to say no to Jesus and turn him down and still be his disciple? The rich young ruler didn't say, you know, I'm going to pass on this one, Jesus, but I just thank you for saving me. I'm still going to be your disciple. 
He understood where things stood, and he walked away sorrowful, still lacking. Now, this has started to get into our next point a little bit, but here's one of the things that I find disturbing about this passage. It's not like the rich young ruler was a terrible person. I mean, I bet he wasn't even a thief like Zacchaeus. He seems like a fairly decent person, and Jesus disqualifies him. So that you, you can do some good things and be a pretty decent member of society and still be selfish at heart and not have a heart of love for God. And if someone doesn't love God, it seems to me that any other good thing he's doing since it's not motivated by a love for God, probably isn't really doing that person any good. It reminds me of a time when, when me and my family were on a uh, on a vacation in North Carolina. We were in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was a couple years back, and I was parking the van, and it, public parking. So I was I put money in the parking meter, and we went on our happy way knowing we had paid our dues. But I came back with great disappointment to find a large parking ticket on my van, windshield. I have a problem with parking. I can just somehow just attract parking tickets. Anyway, and never intentionally. So this ticket was on my windshield, and I was very upset, and I... I mean, I had put money in the meter. And I looked a little more closely and I realized the meter was for the parking spot on the other side of the sidewalk. Where I had parked had nothing to do with that parking meter. Uh, My coins did me no good. They went into the wrong account. They did not benefit me in any way at all. I could have put in as many coins as I wanted. And I would still have gotten a parking ticket. That's kind of that's how I imagine it works for someone who does not have a love for God, but thinks he can do some good things to kind of make it okay. And here's an opinion, all right? I think it's easier for rich people to do that. I think it's easier for rich people to be involved in good activities and do some good things with their money, which is good and look kind of put together, and still believe be living a very self-centered life. I, I, this is just my opinion. I think it's easier for them to pull that off than, than someone living on food stamps. All right, so that was the second lesson. The third lesson is, is, I just want to make this point, that following Jesus is often hindered by money and possessions. It often is hindered by money and possessions. And this is where, this is part of the summer where it will be easy for you to get lost, I'll just tell you this ahead of time. Because point number three, I've got three, I want to give you three reasons for why I'm saying following Jesus is often hindered by money and possessions. Okay, so we're on point number three, but I've got three sub-points. Alright? So this story, we, we see three reasons for why, how, um, why we think following Jesus is hindered by money and possessions. First, Jesus says, you need to get rid of them. He says, get rid of your possessions. 
And, and he said, if you do that, if you can bring yourself to do that, you will have treasure in heaven. And so it's kind of like a man's spiritual balance. He was in disarray. I mean, he had a lot of treasure on earth, but he was bankrupt in heaven. And money has a magnetic kind of pull on our affections. It does. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart seems to follow, be pulled by the treasure. So put the treasure in the right place. So the second reason why we see uh, money being a hindrance is just by the fact that the man went away sorrowful. He couldn't do it. He went away sorrowful. It says, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. This is probably not a line that you're going to see in any other piece of literature. Where are you going to read, he was sorrowful because he was so rich? But here it is in the Bible. He went away sorrowful because he was so rich. He couldn't give it up. Have you heard the expression golden handcuffs? Someone has golden handcuffs. It means, you know, maybe they really hate their job, but it's paying so well they just cannot quit. Or maybe if they hang in there long enough, the semester benefits will kick, will kick in and they won't leave. And it's designed that way. You know, these companies don't want their, their people leaving, so the longer you stay, the more vacation days you get. That's how it works for liberty. Golden handcuffs. And this man had the worst possible kind of golden handcuff. He couldn't give it up for Jesus. It wasn't just leaving for a better, for a different job that was less stressful, or giving it up for his family. He couldn't give it up for Jesus. So what about us? Could we, could we sell what we had, what we have for Jesus? Could we give up a high-paying job for Jesus? Can people do that? So it is definitely possible. The third indicator that money is often a hindrance, it just comes straight from Jesus' mouth. He says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He also said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus said it, I didn't say it. It's hard for wealthy people to get saved. He doesn't say it's impossible. In fact, it's only because of God that anyone can be saved. But it seems like it's harder for rich people. The better off someone is, the more they've got going for them, the more status, the more accumulation, the more they've got in this world. I think it's the harder it is for God to get them to realize how wretched they actually are without Him. But God can do that, and He is willing to take on projects like that. And, and I think maybe this rich man was one of his projects, and I would love if, you know, weeks and months later, this this rich man had eventually decided that this, this lack that I'm feeling is it's not worth it. But Jesus doesn't say that God just makes it easy, or that God takes over and squeezes them through the needle. He just said God makes it possible. But maybe for people who aren't so high and mighty, it's not so hard. Maybe God doesn't have to go to so much trouble. 
to get their hearts where they need to be. Right before the account of the rich young ruler, and it's kind of like, I can almost imagine God planning uh, the event. I mean, he did, you know. I think this was intentional. But just right before he met the rich young ruler, Jesus was meeting with a bunch of little people. And he said about these children, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into at all. But it's hard for rich men to become like little children. It's hard for any grown man to become like little children. And little children can grow up to become rich young rulers. So wealth is often a hindrance to spiritual life, even for Christians who have already decided they're going to follow Jesus. Some other some other verses that indicate that would be, of course, First Timothy six ten, the love of money verse, saying that it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Hebrews thirteen five says, "Keep your life free from." Love of money, from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And of course, Mark chapter 4, parable of the sower, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, choke the word. Money is often a hindrance to following Jesus. Over in Revelation, we've got two whole churches that are pooled in different directions based on where the treasure is. The Laodicean church, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realize that you're a rich, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And the church is firm. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Okay, so we've got three lessons about following Jesus. It's the only way to be saved. It requires total allegiance. It's often hindered by Money and possessions. We'll look at the next two pretty quickly. Lesson number four, following Jesus is only possible by God's grace. With God, all things are possible. You've heard that expression used about all kinds of situations, and it should be used about all kinds of situations. But the really neat thing is that Jesus used it originally, talking about saving people. It's impossible to save ourselves, but God can save us and save even difficult cases like rich people. And so we shouldn't give up hope on ourselves or on others. When following Jesus looks really hard, remember it's only possible by God's grace anyway. As long as we keep saying yes to Jesus, we are going to be fine. Lesson number five is following Jesus is worth it. And according to Jesus, it's worth it a hundred times over in this life alone. So, he says, whoever has given up these things, you're going to get a hundred times the reward. Almost like, take whatever you've given up, multiply it by a hundred. Now, I don't think he meant, shouldn't be taking that literally. No, I don't think any of the apostles got a hundred houses or a hundred of any of those other things. But it's very rewarding follow Jesus. It seems like the more you give up, the more reward you have. So if you don't feel like it's, it's, it's worth it, 
or very rewarding. Maybe you haven't given up enough. The rich man left sorrowful and maybe lived the rest of his life in luxury and pleasure, but with a voice in the back of his head saying that he was lacking something. Meanwhile, people like Peter, Paul, and John, who really did give up everything, were joyful even during suffering. Following Jesus is worth it. Because those are the five points. Following Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. Following Jesus requires total allegiance. Money and hindrance are often a problem to that allegiance. And following Jesus is only possible by God's grace, and it's worth it. So how do we apply this? There are a few things that stand out to me, and maybe you'll think of some others. Here, here are a few things that this passage impressed me with. One is just the need for us to examine our hearts from time to time for shifting allegiance. Is, is it possible that there's some area in my life where I'm telling Jesus no? Um, is it possible that there's some, something Jesus is wanting from me and I'm repeatedly telling him no about that? Because that's a problem. Because you can probably, if that is the case, you can probably forget about the good things you're doing going in the wrong parking meter and, and start thinking about how you might be resembling the original ruler. So examine our, your heart for a shifting allegiance. A second application is, is to do what it says in Hebrews and, and keep ourselves free from the love of money. Uh, and just recognize that, yeah, it, it has a magnetic effect on our hearts. Our treasure pools our hearts. We want treasure in heaven. We don't have treasure in heaven, but a lot of treasure on earth is going to pull our hearts in the wrong direction. And money is awfully handy. It can make a lot of problems go away. But it is not the place to put our security and our affection. So don't work yourself to death building what is really, uh, could be a very huge hindrance to you if you're not using it wisely. In First Timothy, this is the love of money verse, the advice to the rich people is be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what of that which is truly life. And so keep yourself free from the love of money and try not to let it get into your head too much. Try not to let money get into your head too much. And, and I know it can get into your head. It, it can for me. You know, we're told that um, women need to be careful about reading romance novels, right? Don't read too many romance novels. And I think that's good, good advice. Um, be careful about that. Men, maybe men need to be careful about money magazines or, or Kiplingers or whatever else. Of course. But it's a Christian romance. But it's Dave Ramsey. Now, I'm not being completely fair here because there, there is more legitimate reason for looking at some financial advice because we need to know how to handle our money. All right, you need to know how some of these things work. 
Okay, so that's, that's a legitimate reason for doing that. Uh, maybe not so much for romances, but, you know, it's, it's, so, but what I'm saying is, if you um, absorb too much of that, you spend too much time thinking about, reading about, listening to, it, at least for me, it will get into your head and occupy a lot of brain waves, and that's not, a, that's something that becomes a problem. So I'm not saying don't listen to Clark Howard. I'm saying don't let Clark Howard or Dave Ramsey become your Beverly Lewis or whatever. Don't don't let it just become a a, um, a big thing in your head. Just monitor that. Think about it. Okay. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Maybe there's, there's probably other ways to apply that. Those are two things I thought of. Thirdly, thirdly, and I don't, I'm not completely sure how to apply this thought. This is for you parents to figure out. Worry about raising rich young rulers. So you, your fathers and mothers can think about this one and maybe come up with better and more concrete answers than I have. But if money and possessions are a hindrance, the spiritual life. We want to be careful how we set things up for our young people. The the rich young ruler, what do you think his dad was like? Do you think his dad was busy laying up treasure in heaven? I'm suspicious he wasn't. I have a routine every day. I leave around 4.30 to 5 o'clock Liberty, good Go out of Green Hall, go down the concrete steps, the cross park line, go down some more concrete steps, because I park as far away as possible to keep myself in shape. And as I go past the Liberty Christian Academy baseball field, you know, back in the spring at least, every day they were, the, the high school guys were out there practicing or playing one or the other baseball. And so as I'm going to my car, I go past three or four. Pretty nice trucks. I mean, pretty nice. Maybe they're not all brand new, but they're pretty nice trucks. I think any of you would be happy to have any of them. And they're owned by the uh, the um, the young guys out there playing baseball. I know because I've seen them drive up in them. And so I think about this. I'm thinking, well, is is that is that going to be a problem? Uh, or is this not going to be an issue for them at all? And Hopefully it will not be. But is it possible that those license plates that have little wheelchairs on them? I mean, is it possible that their parents are kind of handicapping them by giving them these really nice things? Uh, so we need to be careful about our attitude toward money and how it rubs off on them. I'm not saying don't give your children anything nice, but it's probably more importantly is do they see us laying a treasure in heaven? That's, that's a big question. How do they see us using our money? Uh, we don't want our children to be financially privileged but spiritually disadvantaged. So that was the third way I thought of applying this lesson. So in conclusion, if the world feels like it's beside you and not behind you, remember the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, check your heart. 
serve a shifting allegiance. Give Jesus your total allegiance. Keep yourself free from the love of money. And trust in God's faithfulness and His grace. God bless.